As the 21st century dawned, we saw great tragedy. But the 20th century began much like the 21st with horrific death, global death. World War I proved to be one of the deadliest wars in human history. Countless millions were killed during the First World War. And as the carnage grew and as people across the globe began to reflect on the great death toll of the war, H.P. Wells coined a phrase reflecting on World War I that it was the war to end all wars. That because there was so much carnage, so much death, so much killing, so much evil, that humanity had to have come to a, a resting point, a place where they recognized that war solves nothing and only peace should reign. Well, of course, Wells' assessment of World War I proved to be wrong. Just a matter of three decades later, the world would once again be thrown into chaos. The war to end all wars. This morning, while I commend Wells and what he was trying to articulate, I think there was a war that preceded that great world war in the early days of the 20th century. A war that took place 2,000 years ago. And in Ephesians, Paul points to that war and says, perhaps in the words of Wells, that that and that alone is the war to end all wars. What we're going to think about this morning is how through the cross, God ended all war, if you will. And brought peace and reconciliation to those who were once at war. We're going to think this morning about deep ethnic divides. And social classes. Political parties. And how all of that gets washed away in the cross of Jesus Christ. The victory that we celebrate today is in what Christ accomplished on the cross. And we've been studying the book of Ephesians and, and because we are commending expositional preaching, that is verse by verse, uh, well, we're just in the next place. And, and uh, you might think, well, this is a strange verse for Resurrection Sunday, but, but I hope to show you and commend to you that no, this is a, it's just a fitting text for the victory that we have in Christ. So I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 if you haven't already. Ephesians chapter 2, it's page 977 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. If you have one of those black ones, 977. If you're not used to looking at the Bible, those larger numbers are the chapter numbers, and the smaller numbers are the verse numbers. And so what you want to look for is the small number 14 on page 977. And that's where I'll begin reading. For Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, 
so making peace, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing that hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Amen. We want to think this morning about this peace with God. Now, we've been studying through this letter and we have seen Paul begin with a a praise to God for God's great glory in, in our salvation. God from eternity past had chosen to save a particular people for his glory. Now, the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, had thought to themselves that because God had set them aside, had showed tremendous love to them, they had grown a great bit of racism among them, a a bit of animosity towards other nations. Uh, They had missed the promise given to Abraham that Abram was to be a blessing to all the nations. And as the centuries would go by, the Jews would grow into a nation, a, a people that despised those outside of themselves. If you were not born into the Jewish family, well, you were an outsider, an outcast. This is what Paul had been arguing earlier in chapter 2. He said, you know, this is who you once were. You were once far from, from Christ, far from God. So this morning, if you don't come from a Jewish descent, if your ancestors are not Jewish, then Paul writes and says, listen, you were once alienated from Jesus. He's saying once you were far from Jesus, you you didn't have access to the gospel. But now through Christ, you have access to the gospel. In other words, what Jesus has come to do is to reconcile humanity to himself. Through Christ, God has reconciled man. And so what we want to think about this morning is that peace with God and with man comes only through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. In the mid part of the 20th century, John Lennon uh, penned a, a very famous song, Imagine. And in his song, Imagine, Lennon said that what will fix all the problems of this world is, well, if there was no religion at all. The reason why Lenin thought there were wars and why there was difficulty and and why there was all this strife, Lenin, of course, writing in the context of Vietnam, said because of religion. And if religion was removed, then war would stop. Well, that was the mid-20th century. And, And in today's world, in the 21st century, the problem isn't that we don't want religion at all. That what we see today in secular culture is we want a blending together of religion, a a syncretism of all religions. In other words, this is why many you'll see in the media will say that Islamic uh, believers, those who are in Islam, have the same God as Christians and Jews, uh, that we all have the same God, uh, that there's one divine being. Tomorrow is Earth Day. And Earth Day is all about that sort of syncretistic Mother Earth. Everything is connected together. There's synergy. And if there's synergy, if there's syncretism among all the world religions and among creation, well, then we'll have peace. We won't be at war anymore. My friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is quite scandalous at this point. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is quite hard at this point because the gospel of Jesus Christ says no. Rather, the only way that man can be reconciled to God and with one another is through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to consider this morning these points. Paul here in these verses tells us three reasons why Jesus is our only hope of peace. So this morning, if you want peace in your life, if you want peace with others, if you want peace with God, well, Paul gives us three reasons why it must be Jesus. First, Jesus is the creator of a new reconciled humanity. Secondly, we'll see that Jesus is the great evangelist of peace. And thirdly, Jesus is the only way to the Father. We'll consider, lastly, the exclusivity of Christ. Well, first here in verses 14 through 16, we see that Jesus is the creator of a new reconciled humanity. Jesus came to create a new human race, a new race made up of every tribe, tongue and nation, not a race like you and I think of race. Uh, one particular ethnic group that maybe speaks one particular language and has one particular culture. But rather, Jesus came to take every tribe, tongue, and nation and unite them together in one new family called the church. And so this morning, what we want to uphold this morning is not that we're all the same. In other words, we all came from the same place, but rather Lift up our diversity to glory in what God has done in our unity. But first, notice here in verse 14, the means God used. Paul ended verse 13 that he, by saying that we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now he says here in verse 14 that Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus isn't merely the evangelist's peace of peace, as we'll see. He didn't just preach peace, right? Paul says that Jesus is peace. Jesus embodies peace. Jesus is peace himself. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Notice here that Jesus has made us one, a new humanity. The word there made is the word that means to create. Jesus created something new. And so this morning, you and I who are in Jesus are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so Christians are a new creation. And that is by the means of the cross. Notice what in verse 15, what Christ did, what divided Jews from Gentiles was the law, namely circumcision, but more than circumcision. What what divided us was the fact that we didn't have access to God through the law. Many scholars, particularly Josephus, a first century historian, uh, writes how in the temple uh, court there was the temple of the or the court of the Gentiles, and in the court of the Gentiles there was signs put up, uh, "Do not enter," like the you know "Stay off my lawn" signs that you might see around. 
Get off my lawn, stay out, you're not welcome here. Well, throughout the temple court, there were signs put up that said, Gentiles are not welcome. You're not welcome here. In other words, it would be like us putting a big sign out front and saying, you, whoever you are, we we could define a specific group, you're not welcome here. For many of you, you grew up in such a world. If you grew up in the South, in America, and you happened to be anything other than white, you were unwelcomed in many churches. If you happened to be an African American, uh, there was not a sign maybe, but it was an understood truth that you're not welcome here. Well, what Jesus is teaching us here in this text is that is of the evil one. That is pure, unadulterated evil. What God has done through Christ is reconciled us and united us together. By abolishing the law of commandments. As you read that in verse 15 here, he says by abolishing. You might think, would Jesus just like threw the law away? No, in other places, the Bible says Jesus fulfilled the law. So the Sermon on the Mount, for example. Jesus, through that sermon, said, listen, I've not come to do away with the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. In other words, Jesus said, you know, I'm not putting away any part of the law. I'm not saying that, you know, you know, it's kind of uh, out, outdated. The law is kind of old. We need to just kind of get rid of it. It's no, no. Jesus says, no, we don't need to get rid of it. How about this? I'll just fulfill it for you. In fact, yesterday, Holy Saturday was Christ fulfilling of the Sabbath rest that we enjoy in him. His rest in the tomb is the Sabbath rest. That he fulfilled on our behalf. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about the Sabbath. So if you're a Sabbatarian, sorry, Jesus already fulfilled that for you uh, 2,000 years ago. Jesus has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled all the requirements that the law has expressed in all of the ordinances. And if you want to read about those, you can just go busy yourself reading through Leviticus. Law after law after law after law after law. And it's quite exhausting. I commend the exercise for you because then verse 15 will be meaningful to you. Can't eat that, can't eat that, don't do that, don't look that way, don't touch that, don't smell that, don't lick that, whatever. You can't have any of it. It's exhausting. But thanks be to God, Jesus came and fulfilled the law for us. Christ satisfied all of God's righteous demands upon us. This is how we can be united together because you and I don't have to do anything. There's no work for us to be done. Look again at verse 15. The means that he used to accomplish that, though, was the cross. He did this through the cross. Excuse me, verse 16. He has reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We see here two purposes of our new reconciled humanity. The first purpose is that we are a new creation. We are reminded that we are not a better version. Jesus doesn't invite us and say, hey, I want you all to be the same. I want you all to think the same way and do the same things. Christianity isn't about you being conformed into some vision I have or others have of you, but rather being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about changing you into a new in a new version of yourself. 
But not only that, we see that not only we made new, the old is gone, the new has come. Look at verse 16. The second purpose is that he might reconcile us both to God. When we think about reconciliation, we often think of reconciliation merely in terms of horizontal reconciliation. But see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about not only horizontal reconciliation, that is, you and I being reconciled, but it's also about vertical reconciliation, you and I being reconciled to God. You see, regardless of what a secular society might say, that you know we're all children of God, and we're all friends of God, that's not true. Uh, in fact, the Bible tells us that way back when, in the Garden of Eden, when God created humanity, he created man and women, woman in his image, and he created them good, meaning that they were righteous and holy. There was no sin in them. But they were tempted by the evil one to go their own way. They were tempted to say, you know what? Here's the deal. Satan came to them and says, if you will go this way, you can have the peace that you long for. If you will live life the way you want to live it, on your terms, by your standard, uh, without any regard for how anyone tells you, you just do it your way. Be your own man. Be your own woman. Well, then you will have the peace that you seek. Well, Adam and Eve listened to that, and they were taken in by that. And they rebelled against God. And this rebellion against God by living life their own way, well, God had already told them, if you do this, you will die. If you disobey me, the, the punishment is really clear, right? He doesn't say like, okay, if you do this type of sin, then it's, you know, it's this type of punishment. And if you do this sin, you know, it's this type. No, no. He says one punishment fits all crimes. The punishment is death if you sin against me, if you choose to do life your own way. And so he goes to Adam, he goes to Eve, and he says, listen, you lived your life your own way. You want to do it your way? That's fine. See you later. Have fun. And with that is going to come pain and sorrow and ultimately death. What they sought was peace, but what they got was death. And as the fall continued, we see right there from chapter 3 to chapter 4 what happens. But Cain, their children, kill Abel. War, enmity, right from the beginning. What they sought was peace, but what did they get but war and death and disease. Division, hostility, and murder began to run rampant throughout humanity. But God in his grace sought to redeem humanity, to reconcile us. And so every one of us, before we came to faith in Jesus, we were enemies of the cross. God hated us and we hated God. We were a part of a holy war against God. But through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled. Peace is accomplished through the cross. And the hope we have in consummation is that one day when Jesus returns, there will be no war, strife, or enmity anymore. As Revelation 22, 2 says, there, there will be a healing of the nations. That's the fulfillment of what Paul is talking about here in all of its glory. Well, we see that the purpose then is for God to reconcile us to him, that we might have a relationship with him and as a result, have peace. 
Look again in the text. You'll see in verses 14, 15, and 16, over and over in 17, how Paul repeats the same idea. Peace, 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 peace. He's our peace. He's giving us peace. He's creating something new. He's reconciling us. He's killing hostility, which is the, the antonym of peace. He's given us peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. The point that Paul has is that the result of God's work through Christ is peace. What is peace? Peace is more than inner tranquility. Peace here is a messianic peace. A kingdom peace. A place where you go and live and dwell under under a king who will not allow war or fraction. A king where there's unity. A king where everyone is loving one another and serving one another. Where where everyone goes to serve others rather than themselves. It's the kingdom of God. The peace that Jesus points to here in our text is genuine, lasting peace that can only be achieved through the gospel. And this morning, as a Christian, it is the gospel and nothing else that unites us this morning. One of the most glorious things that happens in our world every single Lord's Day is Christians gather to sing. You ever think about why we sing? Maybe you grew up in church and you thought, you know, that was the most boring thing in the world, sing them old boring songs. Well, a couple things I want to point out to you here, educate you a bit. Number one, we're not merely singing just some songs, right? So we're not singing Rihanna this morning. Uh, We're singing songs written by people that lived like hundreds of years ago. Some even thousands of years ago. Well, what does that say? It means that we're not new. This is nothing innovative. Christians for 2,000 years have gathered on the Lord's Day to sing songs together. And sing the same songs. Over and over, generation after generation. There's a great unity in that, isn't there? That you're singing songs that saints sang hundreds of years ago. That when you open your Bible and you hear it read, like like our sister Bonnie read, you consider that those words have been read by millions of Christians throughout the centuries. When we pray, we pray unified. Or what we're doing right now, everyone's sitting listening to one person talk. Like, that's not cool in the world, right? If that happens, we're turning the channel. I don't want to listen to one dude talk for an hour. The same voice, the same words, the same songs. Our worships express The unity that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only way we can make visible what's invisible, right? Right? We don't have like a scanner, right? We don't have like a metal detector, a a grace detector. We all walk through, okay, he's a Christian, okay, she's not, right? No, we don't have that. It's this sort of unity, though, that we have in the gospel made visible. What's the other way the gospel is made visible? But by our love. For one another. The peace that you and I experience through the cross of Christ is the 
is peace that's expressed in love for an enemy. Remember, Jesus said, look, I'm not impressed with your prayers for your friends and family. Sermon on the Mount. He he was being a, a little facetious. He says, I'm not impressed when you, you know, get up early in the morning, you pray for your wife. And he is, but I'm impressed when you're, you're on your knees praying for your enemy. I'm, a, I'm impressed when you are crying out to the Father, when the, that person at work who, who, who's lying about you, who keeps telling everyone that you're, your work isn't sufficient or you're not doing your... That one who, who is constantly backbiting you. That family member that won't leave you alone. It's just mean. That you're on your knees praying for. You see, our love for even our enemy expresses the genuineness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in us. Our love for others. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we would see the wonder of the gospel each week as we gather. Displayed in our love for one another. That we come to serve others, not ourselves. We see secondly here in the text, not only is Jesus creating a new humanity, we see secondly that Jesus is the great evangelist of peace. Look with me in verse 17. Paul writes that Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Paul says that Jesus came. There's a purpose in why he came. He came to preach. He came to preach a message. In the gospel of Mark, I love the way Mark begins this gospel. He doesn't worry about birth narratives. He just says, he gets right to Jesus preaching, right? Right at the beginning, he begins the gospel. Jesus comes on the scene. What's the first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth? But the kingdom of God is his hand. Repent and believe. From the very beginning, Jesus preached nothing but the message of peace. He preached the gospel. He came and he preached. That's what he did. He preached a message. The gospel is a message. And our message this morning is a message of peace. Peace with God. We're told here that he is the carrier of peace. But I want you to see something here. And and Paul's point is clear in what he's doing here. Look again at verse 17. Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. The far off group is us, Gentiles. The near group is the, is the Jews. But notice what Paul is doing. Jesus preached peace to Gentiles and Jesus preached peace to Jews. Notice what he does. He preaches the same thing to both groups. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't a message just to Jews. It's not a message just to Americans. It's not a message just to the rich. It's not a message just to the powerful and influence of our world. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message for all. A message for everyone. An indiscriminate message. A universal message. Now, we're not universalists here this morning, meaning that God saves all people through all means. But rather, we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out universally. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be cast out, spread like seed on the soil, and just let it go, let it fly, see where it goes and where it lands. Here we see that the same message is the message for all. And so this morning, 
when we're thinking about our world and we're thinking about the brokenness of our world and we're thinking about the enmity and strife played out in our world, we're seeing the political partisan divide in our society. We're seeing homes being broken apart over silly things like I'm a Republican and I'm a Democrat. We're seeing families broken over radically foolish things like social gospel, like if we're going to feed the poor or not. Like, why are we arguing about such foolish things as Christians? But, but we see lives being broken over that, and the question is, what will fix it? What will fix our problem? Well, Paul writes in verse 17, the one message that will fix your problem is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only message you need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to hear that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Friend, this morning, if you are not a Christian, I love you enough to tell you that if you do not stop living life your own way, you will die. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but you will die in your sins. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Don't wait. Repent and believe in Christ today. Uh, You don't have to be holy. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do anything. There's no no ritual you have to complete. No baptism or Lord's Supper you have to eat. Nothing you have to do. See, Jesus not only died the death you deserve, but he lived the life you should have. And because he lived a perfect life, holy life before his father and died the death your sins deserve and my sins deserve and that he was raised from the dead for our justification all you need to do is repent of your sins and trust in christ lean in christ rest in christ that inward turmoil that you face every day, that frustration that you feel because you don't measure up to some image you've created, because you don't measure up to where you wish you were in life, you wish you were more successful, more educated, more whatever. Friends, in the gospel, you can lay that down. You can give that up. And you can know real and lasting peace And your soul can stop worrying whether or not you're going to have enough money for for retirement. Your soul can rest not worrying whether or not my kids are going to turn out okay. You can rest knowing that whoever isn't going to be president next. It's going to be okay. The message is the message of all, for all. And Paul's point here is that we're also a messenger like Jesus. As representatives of Christ, we also have become evangelists of peace. The message we want to be sharing with those around us is the message of peace. Brothers and sisters, I know that sharing the gospel is probably one of the hardest things you have to do in following Jesus. It's perhaps one of the things that scares you the most. I don't know what to say. What if they ask me some deep philosophical question like, how do you know there's a God or how do you know Jesus rose again? Friend, don't worry about those questions. You can answer them in time. But know that every conversation affords an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. 
Use your ears. Listen. Do you see sorrow? Do you hear sorrow? Give him the gospel. Do you hear depression and difficult? Give him the gospel. Do you hear prosperity? Man, I'm glad I have all of this. I'm glad I made it. I'm glad I have this education. I'm glad I've arrived. What do they need? They need the gospel. No, you haven't arrived. Stop it. See, the message is the message for all. It's the same message, and it's given to all. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.19, that we are messengers of reconciliation. That's who we are. Our message is is that the the war to end all wars is the cross of Christ. There will be no cease of war until Jesus comes again. Now, that doesn't mean we don't work and legislate towards peace and all those things. But we trust that ultimately there is no utopia outside of the new heaven and new earth. Well, finally, and very quickly, I want you to see thirdly. Verse 18, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. The the reason why Jesus is your only hope is because Jesus is your only way, my only way to God the Father. Look what he writes in verse 18. For through Christ we have, we both have, excuse me, access in one spirit to the Father. Through him. In other words, Paul says the means of gaining access to God the Father is Jesus. He's the only way. As Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. No, not no one. Jesus is pretty emphatic. You can't wiggle your way any other way. I remember as a kid, those funny jokes used to be told about St. Peter at the pearly gates, you know. Uh, about how people were sneaking into heaven and things like that. Jesus makes clear, there is only one way, there's only one door, and it ain't St. Peter. The door to heaven is Jesus. He's the only way. The only way you can know God, so you can just pretend that you know him, but the only way, uh, what Paul writes here about is the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are not many ways to God. There are not many religions that all kind of make their way. This isn't some big mountain and all the world religions are spiraling to the top. Buddhism's wrong. Hinduism doesn't get it. Confucianism doesn't make it. Eastern meditation doesn't make it. You can do all the yoga you want and you're not going to have peace with God. The only way is through Jesus. Through Jesus Christ do we have access to the Father. And I want you to see here, Paul's emphasis is a triune emphasis. Notice here he says, it's through Jesus, by the Spirit, to the Father. It's a triune effort here. It's a triune work. Our God, Father, Son, and Spirit is working on your behalf to bring you to Him. Jesus is the only way. For you and I to know the Father. We pray to the Father through Him. We read the words of Scripture through Him. We only have life through Him. Jesus Christ is the exclusive way to God. 
So what are you doing to look for peace? Are you finding peace in your prosperity, in your American dream? Are you finding peace in your education, perhaps in the strength of your might? Perhaps you're finding peace in strong leadership or economic equality. Friends, there are a myriad of ways that we can find peace, worldly peace. But this peace does not bring the peace that Jesus preached. God brought about peace through the gruesome death of his own son. Through death of one, all might have peace. And through the cross, God unites humanity so that we can gather every tribe, tongue, and nation under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God, heaven is going to be a glorious scene where you're going to hear uttered in languages you've never heard of, in which you do not understand, praises and glory to the name of God. You'll remember a number of years ago, around the time of the Beijing Olympics, Coca-Cola put out a mass advertisement, invested millions of dollars in this advertisement, and it was glorious. I don't know if you remember it or not, but what it was in this was the every uh, these different people groups speaking in different language, and they were saying Coca-Cola and a, and a variety of other things, and Coca-Cola was trying to promote a sense of unity, a world or global unity. And while it was for a humanistic ends, not a Christian ends, uh, there was something about it that was glorious, something about it that was amazing, something gospel-like about it. Friends, there is something wonderful to celebrate. But here's the truth you need to take away. This place will not be a diverse place unless you're living diverse lives. Let me say that again. This congregation will not be a diverse congregation if you're living a undiversified life throughout your week. What that means is, is that if you're just hanging out with people just like you, then we'll never grow in our diversity. You see, the gospel goes to all people, not just to people that look like us and think like us and vote like us and maybe shop at the same stores we shop at. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all. And so let us go with that mindset to take the gospel to the nations that God may save for his glory and our good in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that a better sermon was heard than the one preached. We commend the gospel of Jesus Christ for our own salvation and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.